and welcome to QA Quest episode 306. I am your incredibly stupid host, Mike Apps, aka Wheels, and with me as always. Uh, long suffering sidekick, David Brony, fan of my master. <laughs> uh, and uh, yes, I'm saying that about myself because I just revisited the infamous Mugen Souls, which um, uh, I reviewed back in the day and has recently been released on Switch. Let me just uh, just pull up a little snippet from this review here, and let's see. All in all, Mugen Souls turns out to be an incredibly frustrating game with some good ideas that quickly get lost in the grind. St despite making fun of cliches at times, the story ends up being an overly long affair, dragged down by the very cliches it makes fun of. Tedious, boring, and insanely frequent comic counters are all made are made all the worse by required grinding and giant spike in difficulty after much of the game is a cakewalk. The frequent pandering elements of the game's story and visuals can't hide its borderline broken mechanics. Even the most ardent fan of JRPGs will find little to like about this grind fest. One out of five. Uh, good times. Yes. Uh, it did not go well. <laughs> it lasted about 50... I mean, the playing the remaster lasted about... Yeah. Yes, but I am going to be playing that a few more times because I intend to write a brief and, yes, I absolutely mean brief uh, overview of the... Remaster, if it is that, because I noticed some stutters and off, like it's off loading times. It's a port. Yeah, it's a port. <laughs> it's not. There's no remastering here. Yeah, I don't have a good feeling about this. Yeah. So, no bake. If you were thinking of revisiting it again, um, I would just say sometimes it's best to leave your memories of a game intact and not perhaps tarnishing them by re revisiting said game again. Hmm. Consider, though, what if you didn't? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm going to play some more of Trinity Trigger, which I can finally freaking talk about. Yeah, you haven't been able to do that. Yes, so... Uh, as we get into talking about what we've been playing, let me just do that then. Sure, uh, sure. So I got early access to play Trinity Trigger, courtesy of Exceed, and uh, I have been enjoying it quite a lot. Uh, if you have seen um, Pause's review of it, uh, she obviously liked it a bit less than I have, but uh, a lot of what she perhaps didn't like isn't totally... She's definitely not wrong. There's The game has some issues. Like, right off the bat, one of the things I noticed was the voices in battle can get quite annoying. Um, when I switch to a different weapon, um, the like, there's different voice lines for each weapon your characters are using. So depending on what weapon you're using, they may be less annoying. But it was definitely... You know, oh, I'm not usually one to complain about like English voices or anything like that, that, but I switched over to Japanese briefly just to see if that was less annoying, and it was. So uh, I eventually went to just turning down the voice volume a bit, and that kind of mitigated it a bit, but it's definitely, it's definitely not the best. Um, 
Some of the voice acting can be a little uneven outside of some scenes, but it's mostly fine. Uh, and um, the same can be said of the music. A lot of the music I really like. It definitely gives me a very Secret of Mana vibe, but some of it's kind of just bland. Um, but, I mean, it's it gives me the same feel that, like, Legend of Legacy did. Like, this game is going for, like, a retro vibe, trying to bring back an old style and give it some modern touches. And um, I, I really like what they've done here. They, it's, it f gives you, like, that Secret of Mana feel, but not feeling like an old game. Like, if you go back and play Secret of Mana, if you hadn't played it back in the day, it's just going to feel really weird. And this feels totally fine, but if you've played Secret of Mana, you look at it and like, oh, I see, this is... Like, when you use attacks, there's a little stamina meter, and if you attack too much, it'll eventually go down, and your attacks will do much less damage beyond that. And if you played Secret of Mana, it'll be like, oh yeah, it's just like that little thing that went up to 100%, and then you can attack and do damage, and you have to wait for it to go up again. It's definitely that sort of mechanic. Just like a modern version of it, and... Uh, that's kind of like the whole vibe I get from this game, is it's trying to be that neat little game that you can play co-op and go on an adventure together with friends. And um, yeah, beyond beyond the issues it does have, I, I definitely have been loving this game. Yeah. Uh, and there's, there's, a, there's a lot of... I think it's got like... 77-ish as far as average review scores go. Yeah, it's it's about around what like Alliance Alive and Legend of Legacy were, were getting. These the games these developers are making are definitely not what I would call mainstream, as much as I love all three of their games. Um I don't know. I I can't think of a good way to put it. Like, definitely niche. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, if Secret of Mana was your thing, absolutely check this game out, hundred percent. Just don't necessarily go into it and say and expect like, oh, this is gonna this will be just as good. <laughs> this will be just as good. This will like make me feel all the things I felt. As a kid, no, probably not. But you might have a good time. Yeah, you'll definitely have a good time. Um, yeah, it, it, and honestly, is it probably better mechanically than Secret of Mana? Yes, because that whole game is a mess. I love it too, but it's kind of jank. <laughs> so much, so much jank. <laughs> But yeah, this, this game's a lot of fun. The boss fights and the combats are a lot of fun. I just got, like, um, the fist weapon, uh, which you can just go flying and do all kinds of crazy combos in battle. It's super fast-paced. It's a lot of fun. And I've only got, like, half the... I've only seen, like, four of the weapons... Four of the, I think, eight weapons so far. Uh, so it's a lot more to see. And, yeah, it's a good time. Wish I had online co-op, but yeah. So yeah, there's some there's some imperfections to it. I would definitely attribute to being you know this is not this is not a Square Enix production. 
Uh, and I think like <laughs> Legend of Legacy and Alliance Alive kind of had similar things, but maybe got being just like, I think being turn-based RPGs, they can get away with a little bit more on a smaller budget. Um, yeah. Uh, yes, very good game. Highly recommend people. You know, I, I, I've literally been saying it. Highly recommend people. Please support this developer. Their games are... They're just my thing. <laughs> so please give them your money. Yeah, definitely, definitely check it out. I don't think that there's not a U.S. demo, but I think you may still be able to get the Japanese demo if you just want to try out the gameplay. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the primary thing I've been playing other than games that I've talk, talked about a lot, like um, uh, Dot .hack and whatnot. So uh, I'll let you talk about some trails. Oh, oh boy. Uh, so yeah, I've been playing... Uh, Trails to Azure, as you'd expect out of me at this stage, if you've been paying attention to this podcast for some godforsaken reason. Uh, and I am in the tail end of it. I am on the latter part of Chapter 4, which leaves me... There is a section after Chapter 4 called Fragments, which seems to be a short sort of intermission, but not the happy kind of intermission that uh, happens between... Uh, chapter 2 and 3, and then the finale chapter, which uh, I think things are going to kind of hit the fan. But uh, I've been having I've been having a great time with it. I am, can't actually look at my playtime at the moment, but I would suspect that it's well in excess of 40 hours at this point. And it, it hasn't felt it, which is not to say that it feels insubstantial so much as like, yep, I just keep plowing away at it i feel uh like i will be ready to just jump headlong into trails of cold steel uh once i finish this uh but yeah uh i've been having a great time uh great cast of characters well written a lot of good payoffs of setups from both trails in the sky and trails from zero uh some really really fucking hard fights even on normal mode if you aren't uh that require you to kind of wrap your head around certain very specific setups you want to when there is a fight in the beginning of chapter four that is on not a turn limit unlike some of the other ones but a time limit and that requires a certain degree of efficiency that I was not necessarily expecting. But uh, I managed it. It went okay. Uh, I've been yeah, I've been having I've been having a great time. Uh, I came to the conclusion while doing one of the side quests uh, a couple days ago that nothing can show how much I enjoy uh trails games more than the fact that i eagerly and without complaint 100 percent of the fishing quests in both zero and azure i do not care about fishing <laughs> do not care for fishing mini games in most games 
I did it all anyway. Uh, and I didn't actually feel irritated at basically any point. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's got me, it's got me hooked. It's got me very hooked. Uh, I'll be, I'll be sad to see this cast go, but I'm excited to reacquaint myself with the Cold Steel cast since I played a chapter or so of Cold Steel 1 way back when that first came out. It's a very uh, good cast. Yeah. But the crossbow cast is great too, and I'm glad that they'll get to show up again uh, for Trails into Reverie. And uh, let's, let's see where they're going. There's there's a lot of... The, the thing that's been interesting is that uh, I've been really enjoying uh, the uh, plot, and it's it's mostly been very... Uh, it's, it's been fair, very active, sort of, you know, full steam ahead, paying off different things. But there's also, like, it's conspicuous by how much it has continued to hold close to its vest. It has a very... Uh, there, there's a considered weight to when these plot points end up getting deployed so that, like, you know, you can tell, like, something's brewing, something's brewing, and you're just sort of waiting for it to, like, come to the fore. Also, while I'm not watching this, have you run into a single treasure chest that is not a mimic? No. <laughs> But, no, uh, since the last dungeon, there have been so many, not even a dungeon, since I got to, like, a de the desert area in this game, there have been so many fucking mimics, it's not even funny. And I both hate and deeply appreciate their presence. See, Fireminer asks, why is it always fishing, other than that it's an easy minigame to implement? I mean, it depends uh, upon how detailed you're being. Some of them are very complicated. I think it's just that it contrasts well with the very high energy way that most RPGs are structured to have something that is very solitary and slow, at least in terms of theming. So I think that's why you end up seeing fishing minigames mini show up. It's also something that a character can feasibly do as long as you have one thing in your inventory and access to a body of water which uh, you can add in without breaking your theme, which uh, is not without its merits as well. Uh, anyone wanting to play Magical Drop 6? Uh, I did not check how Magical Drop... Uh, like, I remember Magical Drop 5 being kind of like, oh, that didn't turn out so great, so consider me trepidatious. Um, I think playing Mugen Shoals has earned me a Girl Scout cookie. That's fair. Mm. But don't take that as an excuse to hurt yourself. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so I've been I've been doing my best to do basically everything in Trails to Azure, the way that I did in Trails from Zero, the way that I did in Trails in the Sky, so I'm <sighs> I am I am very deep into that. I suspect I will be done by the time that we reach the next uh by the time we record our next episode, which that be our yeah that'll be our I should mention we will uh, be taking a uh, an episode off in the middle of May, so 
It's good timing. Don't know why it's good timing for you, but it's good timing for me. Because I will be <laughs> buried in Zelda. Oh, I will be too, but I'll also be doing that on a train. Hmm. Um, train, train. But yeah, uh, I've just been I've just been having an absolute ball with uh, Trails to Azure. Just again, one of those series that the more you play a bit, the more the, the the better that it gets. Not just because like you know the games keep being extremely good, but because of the way that they build on each other. So. Having a wonderful time. I've seemed to have set it up so that I can get everyone's final bonding event. That's very good, both because I want to know what uh, what unique things that they'll say during those bonding events, as well as all of them give like truly ridiculous, uh, tr truly ridiculous uh, accessories when you get their final bonding events. So you can just really outfit the party based on, well, uh, I made friends with everyone. Now the entire party is set for life. Uh, and Fireminer asks, how the hell did I miss that there is a beat-em-up based on Cobra Kai? I think we talked about it once. There's actually two of them. Yeah, I remember like when you first started watching that show and you were really high on it, like you... I feel like you played it and talked about it on the podcast once. No, actually. I wanted to play it. I never ended up buying it, though. Why don't you do that for yourself at some point? <laughs> yeah, maybe. But first, you owe me a Trails and a Remnant. You don't actually owe me that, but if I just seed it into your mind, maybe one day it'll happen. <laughs> um, but yeah. So... Oh, Doomerang has something to say. Mugen Soul is looking a lot prettier than I remember. Yes. Uh, that's what this is. Yes. Um, but yeah. Uh, you might say that triggers me. No, it's a terrible joke. I'm sorry. Yeah, it doesn't even make any sense. Um, yes. There's so, a yeah. trinity of bad jokes. Oh, that's no, there was only either. one. Fuck. Get the fuck out. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I'm. You, you know, might say feels... that that is my secret. Of man, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'm going to just send you out out to the sea. Like you will not, you will not be offered a boat. You'll not be offered food or supplies of, of any sort. You will be sent adrift in the ocean, and may God determine yes. that. Uh, um, in, in case anyone that came into the stream late is wondering, uh, I lasted about 15 minutes of. Mugen Souls, that's and that's kind of be going to be the standard going forward. Yeah. In any case, uh, playing. Uh, so yeah, uh, I don't want to belabor the point because I've talked up basically every Trails game I've played. Uh, had a wonderful time with basically all of them, but you know, it, it really is just. Uh, any, uh, if, if you haven't, if you like turn-based uh, traditional Japanese RPGs, and I mean, like, the the best time to start a Trails game, the best time to start playing Trails games is right now, or anytime, really, anytime mm -hmm. you can. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, very much having a great time. Uh, I doubt I'll be able to finish all four Cold Steels before... 
uh, uh, Trails into Reverie comes out, but you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with knowing I've got more of them on the way. Uh, but yeah, just just an absolutely wonderful game. It was, it was one of those games where, like, I was like while just happily playing it for hours i think over the weekend it's just like oh i love this game <laughs> apropos of nothing prompted by nothing in specific <laughs> just like oh, i love these games <laughs> yeah so there's my ringing endorsement uh i don't have it in me to write reviews at this stage of my life but you know, that's that's the best endorsement that I can give is you know what? I just I just fucking love playing it. <laughs> it's all the review I need. <sighs> and hey, you're uh you're as soon as you're done with DQ eleven you'll be ready to start second chapter. No I'm uh, gonna play them both at the same time. Okay. I got demands. Um but yeah, so that's that's basically uh, eaten my life over the past week. Like when I am not working or attending to my like bodily necessities, I am playing trails. Uh, anyone today to do a deep dive on the character customizability of live service games with a degree of loot boxes? Like how many different types of options you can develop in a character? How many crappy items you can uh, drop before the player is fed up? Heard game, com game companies pay big bucks for this data. Yeah, I mean, like, the in terms of publicly available stuff, you're just gonna find uh, you're you're just gonna find uh, data about offering condi conditioning chambers uh, that this all kind of pulls back to. Also, Dumerang says all the cool kids play Mugen Soul Z. It even has Z at the end, but. Uh, wow. Yeah, like, the, the, that's the kind of information that, you know, uh, it takes a lot of work to actually test that, and, you know, there's definitely a lot of money to be made from that data, a lot of very deeply immoral money to be made from that data. Uh, like that's, that's some, like, legitimately gross shit. But uh, yeah, there's from from everything I've ever heard, there is definitely uh, people that are willing to do that kind of market research and combine it with the existing data about how uh, people react to inconsistent rewards. Uh, I, on some level, feel lucky that my brain is kind of hardwired to be really pissed off at inconsistent rewards. And so that's why I often don't like grinding for items in games. And once you add money to that equation, it's like, absolutely not, I will not. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll, I'll spend a lot on stuff when I know what I'm getting, like a consistent, uh, consistent risk, consistent reward. But like when you start making the rewards inconsistent. I just tend to get angry much more, uh, much faster, and with much more severity than I feel any sort of satisfaction when I get lucky on the thing. Uh, got lucky. Uh, it's you know that's 
that's very much an individual temperament thing and a lot of people can very much get uh fucked over because their individual mental makeup uh makes it so that that goes from being uh you can go anywhere from like my attitude to uh the the relatively average like yeah i'll throw some extra bucks and see what i can get to the much more tragic uh you know exploitation of addictive uh aspects of certain personalities uh you know that's extremely dark it's extremely dark uh uh i might sound slightly more uh i might make slightly more protestations of pain during this uh during this podcast report recording because i fell down the fucking stairs this week (laughs) oof I'm sorry. Bad times. I just feel lucky that I did not, in fact, get uh, seemingly any sort of concussion. That's good. <laughs> I, uh, my head was whacked, but it seems to have not been hard enough and seems to have hit the essentially the hardest part of my skull, so it merely lucky. sucked extremely Ugh. as opposed to uh, hospital. So... <laughs> That's been fun. I have fallen yeah, on stairs you before. It is not, being not fun. <laughs> What's that? I said I've fallen on stairs before. It is not fun. Yeah. But yeah, so that's, uh, if you hear me making uh, protestations of pain under my breath, that's why. Apologies. Um, Worries. But yeah. So yeah, I've been playing a ton of trails. Uh, incredibly excited to roll directly into Cold Steel once I finish uh, once I finish Trails to Azure might make some oh hey Joe hello Joe but yeah um, Joey Jojo Shabadoo it's the worst name I ever heard <laughs> no Joey Jojo Joey Jojo uh, but yeah, uh, but yeah, had a having a ball with that. There's there's other things that like a part of me is like, oh, I should play that. I should get around to that. And it's like, but I got the trails that I want to finish. Yeah, I I, it's going. I'm hitting the the gaming ADD real hard of late. Yeah, I've been I've been very lucky. Uh, I'm gonna be very lucky. I should say that I will have an extended train trip with a switch and a steam deck to alternate between tears of the kingdom and uh trails of cold steel next month i should say i have been playing some more remnant from the ashes yeah you seem like you're still having a ball with when uh whenever i'm waiting for my son's soccer practice to be over and yeah and I got a really, a really cool boss fight now, where you're fighting like some kind of blacksmith guy with a giant hammer, and he's just mm-hmm. like ch- chucks the whole giant fucking hammer at you and almost one shots you. It's tough. It's a tough fight. Nice. It reminds me of um, uh, who's the hammer guy from Dark Souls? Uh, uh you thinking of Smoke? Yes doesn't really look like him but like just like these devastating lunging hammer attacks 
really hard, really hard boss fight. And a lot of the boss fights I've done have been like relatively smaller enemies and bigger arenas where you can kind of run around and get some cover. And this is not that. It's in literally in like a some kind of blacksmithing building. It seems like so. It's tough. I will probably, yeah, maybe I will make an attempt at that during this very stream. This very yeah. stream. Tonight, in this very rain. Uh, yeah, that game continues to be wonderful. Highly recommended. And I think, like I've said when I've talked about it, I'm pretty sure, like, what areas you get, there's some kind of randomness to it, to, like, the bosses and maybe even mm -hmm. the areas you get. So you may not even you may have played through the game and not have any idea what boss I'm talking about. And that's and that's kinda cool. So yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it's like they're pre designed areas, but it's sort of random how exactly. they yeah. get distributed, which is uh, that's the kind of randomization that I can jive with. Yeah, very good switch for it. Nice. Remnant from the switches. Yes. When the walls fell. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's what I've been playing. And allegedly what you've been playing. Yes. <laughs> Let's see. So, let me quickly... I checked the comments section. We've got nothing new there. Okay, podcast section. Nothing. Zilch, nada. Hmm. Must dive. Yeah. Hmm? No questions at all. Nope, nothing. That's true. Uh, so we're going to dive into the big list. Big the list, big the cat. Okay. Sorry, just uh, responding to something. No worries. Yeah. Uh, question in the big list: Is there any commercial that tried too hard and became lame? Anyone remember the Moms Against Dead Space ads? Personally, I think no ad with rap should have ever been made. Just check out the Transformers G two ads. It's it's very very hard to not just come off corny as shit when you do like an an advertisement song that is trying to sound cool like catchy you can get away with trying to sound cool like any sort of uh rock or rap ad tends to try to be tends to end up coming coming tends to end up coming off indescribably lame but yeah that's uh that's good times uh <laughs> See, anyone remember Transformers G2 rap? Nope, do not. Was not a Transformers child. <laughs> More than meets the eye. I do remember 
I think my favorite, like, the 90s was a period of just an indescribable amount of just the lamest rapping in human history. And nothing has ever been funnier than when someone paid, like, the B-52s man to rap about Captain Planet. Captain Planet, he's our hero. Yeah, eventually they replaced that with the B-52s man talking about him being the Mega Mac daddy of ecology. What? He's the Mega Hello. Mac daddy of ecology. It's Joey Jojo. Yeah. What's hey, going Joe. on? Nothing. Well, you talk, started talking about Captain Planet and you piqued my interest. <laughs> He's our hero. Honestly tragic. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to curse wheels with this. Oh God, what now? Give it a moment. Uh... Okay, I'm sending this and I'm putting this in the Discord chat. I sent you a good thing uh, that you'll have to check later, but uh, for now you'll have to check this. Uh, are you trying to post a link? Fireminer, uh, I don't know how to let you post the link. Let's see, uh, maybe if Pew's around, he knows how to do that. Let's see, what yeah. Let's <laughs> see, uh, but I asked, in what ways were was it brilliant, and how FF7 introduced and showed Sephiroth throughout the game? I think the most striking image you get from. Sephiroth uh, early on just to like put him in a whole nother class of uh, I think uh, it would it would have to be just like of course the Shinra building and then the Midgar Zolum where you run into the like the game is very sparing in its use of blood and like the way that it just shows like these environments that have been just utterly like destroyed in a way that like the violence is uh inescapable like all of those deaths uh are uh visible in uh and the the carnage left behind is not clean in a way that uh the game's battle system might portray it as being like you know that that really uh creates a mystique around the character uh, oof. Let's see. But yeah, uh, that the general uh bit where you actually see him sort of descending into madness is uh another extremely strong thing because it's just like you know you you sort of see him just completely losing his already kind of. Like, you know, you see him go from being the calm mentor to just being, like, losing it completely over time. Uh, that's a really uh, just strong motif. Uh, it's, you know, there, there's just a lot of great uh, visual and atmospheric storytelling that involves Sephiroth, which is why people latched onto him so much. But also... Uh, you know, sometimes almost too subtle about how, like, you almost never actually see him. Mm. But that's something that, because, you know, uh, I remember when I was a dumb child and you kept fighting 
uh, Genova's whenever you ran into him, it was like my, my brain interpreted that as like he was leaving behind bits of Genova rather than him like controlling Genova to take on his guys. Mm. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, there's just a lot of strong thematic ties that make him work and make him memorable. Uh, and the remake did that, took that and did additional interesting things with it by approaching it in a different direction. Sephiroth can no longer be a complete mystery to you because you live in a world where FF7 has been one of the most uh, discussed games of the past 20 years. Uh, so they went another direction. And I think that that was interesting and effective because it was an acknowledgement that the remake could never exist in a world where FF7 was not already a genre-defining and generation-defining game. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you click the uh, Mega Mac Daddy of Ecology wheels? <laughs> I listened to about 10 seconds of it. Wow, you're a coward. <laughs> well, I'm also... You know, we are on the RP Gamer stream worried about... Yeah, someone's going to absolutely claim, copyright claim the Mega Mac Daddy of Ecology. You never know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, if they ever remake FF8, would the twist be changed radically, or would SE just try to clarify it better? I don't know, because I don't know that there's an internal appetite to make it, and the way that the game would be handled in terms of a remake, I think, would be extremely determined by who had the appetite to make that project happen. Uh, the FF7 remake happened because uh, there was obviously an appetite from fans, and it needed it was going to happen one way or another, but the people who internally made it were people who had made the original and had strong opinions about its legacy. Uh, I feel like FF8 would probably come from people who cared a lot about the game, but who hadn't been involved in its creation, and they would bring a very different perspective to how to remake it. Uh, in that sense, I think that they would be probably more keen on uh, explicating and expanding rather than reinventing. So I think you would end up with a game, if, if we assume draw that, thought process to its conclusion. I think you would end up with a game that uh, is more uh, literally this, uh, similar to its predecessor rather than uh, attempting to uh, essentially be a response to the themes of its, or of its originator. You got any opinions on this? <laughs> uh, I'm had my fill of Fantasy VIII and I don't want to play another version of it. Like, I, I've tried to play the uh, remaster and it's just like, I'm not I, I'm not huge on FF8. I think that, like, the, the hope with any remake is that you make it interesting uh, in a way that's different enough from the original that even if I didn't like FF8, that I could still potentially yeah. be interested in what you'd do with a remake. I mean, I'd, I would be interested after Final Fantasy VII Remake was done, if some of those same people wanted to do a similar treatment to Final Fantasy VIII, I think that could be very interesting. But I honestly don't think I'd want to see 
something more resembling the original version of Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah, I'd, I'd personally I'd want something, something that, very different that did a lot of different things and maybe trimmed some of the, like because there's there's explicating the core plot, but there's also maybe trimming some of the plots that don't really add much. And there's yeah. a lot of those floating around in that stew of a game. Yeah, it's it's a weird game, and just like some of the twists are just so weird and handled. You're thinking poorly. about Norg because I am also thinking about Norg. Yeah. <laughs> It's just like everything, just like that. Oh, hey, we were all, like, we were all in preschool together. It's just like, sweet, I feel like you weird. can do that, and I think that that twist actually is something I would, if if I was expecting someone to do more with that game, I would expect that twist to actually be done, to be not cut but emphasized. Yeah, I I don't dislike the twist. I just think the way it's handled in the game just doesn't. I, I, I do love the way of, work. of showing this is to flash back to remembering the fucking orphanage and everyone is just a shrunken down version of their current model. Yeah. <laughs> that looks really silly. Um, it's just, it's not like there's any hints to it. It just kind of, it's just, I feel it's like just the game there. Be I don't know. <laughs> I feel like the game would be better off if it kind of grappled with the nature, like, the, the the nature of how guardian forces work where they just like they take up the parts of your brain that contain long-term memories and the more you use them the more that your memories sort of start turning into mush and disappearing uh is existentially horrifying yeah like, play and play off that and they really yeah there's don't. so much you can there's so much you can do with that and it's it's like it is one of those situations where like you can't not use them that's the only way yeah. to win the conflict you care it, about now and it almost feels but, like a throwaway element to that game like they use it and oh hey you know we actually all knew each other and then it just they kind of don't go anywhere like no it. one like like there's never a heart-to-heart -heart afterwards about like the characters talking about like what few memories they do still have and what they valued about them or and it never it's never reflected in their interactions later it doesn't it only characterizes their relationship to idea yeah it's it's very it's, strange that's it's, just eh. it feels not fully considered and it feels like something you could do a lot with i think you can do uh, definitely do a lot with it cuz i you know there's lots of media that have done interesting things with oh you know you've lost your memories but maybe there's still something deep down there and you, I think there's a lot you could do with, with subtle things like, oh, these characters have just met each other, but they're like in combat and, uh, you know, they, they they're complimenting each fight. other like they've yeah. been doing this forever. Like just little touches like that, that when there's the reveal and you go back and look at everything that's happened beforehand, it all kind of paints Clicks into place, this cool like picture. In this case, it, it mostly just makes it more confusing. Because there's... I, you know, I haven't played the game in a while. I don't think there's like any hint of that beforehand. There's like maybe there's very little, little very it. little like, things, but there's one character who remembers it, and like once everyone else remembers it, they're like, uh, "Why didn't you bring this up?" And he's like, "Well, I didn't. No one else did, so I didn't." And like that's a weird thing to do too. I feel like you could bring that twist off a lot better in a modern game where you could actually animate him being a little confused sounding because <laughs> uh, like that, that's kind of like the weird thing with like Irvine 
like the whole like the biggest foreshadowing of this is that Irvine is unwilling to shoot Idia at the end of disc one. Like this yeah. is the explanation for why he doesn't do that. <laughs> it's because he remembers her as essentially a surrogate mom. And uh so like when he uh you know, when he doesn't take the shot, it's it seems like he's just losing his nerve, he just doesn't have it in him to kill people, but it's supposed to be something specific. And like that's the biggest foreshadowing of this, but that really characterizes how like this is treated as a twist that affects their relationship with Adia and not with each other. Hmm. And like that's that's kind of the part where it's like this is a a twist that should logically affect essentially every dynamic that the cast contains. And instead only affects like one dynamic that they all have and only in one way. And it's uh it's it's a missed opportunity. It's a real missed opportunity. Yeah. Let's see, but I asked the Cyan FF six question, were there any characters you thought were awesome but later realized they weren't? I mean, Cyan and Locke are both that way, but uh I'm trying to think of ones that I've gone back to and not had any real appreciation for. Because, uh, like, mean, it can still... Tello's kind of a jerk. I mean, yeah, but Tello's always kind of a jerk, at least as far as I was concerned. Yeah, that's true. Because, uh, like, I'll, I'll go back and I can uh, still put myself in the mindset of, like, when I was 12, this is exactly the kind of character I thought was cool as shit. Um, and so I'll, like, go back and look at, like, I was watching a friend play Wild Arms 3 not long ago, and it's like, yep, Jet Enduro was absolutely built for the kind of, like, try-hard, dipshit 12-year-old I was. And that's fine. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I think that's that's kind of the, the thing, is that, like... It, I tend to look at these as kind of like, oh, they're, they're archetypes, and they're archetypes meant to appeal to very specific people, and they're almost engineered perfectly to do it. Uh, let's see. Final I Rest. did not play Final Fantasy okay. VIII when it came out. Um, I bought the remaster when it came out on Switch. Mm -hmm. And I just loaded it up, and apparently I only played for about 40 minutes. <laughs> so. It's got That's kind fair. of a slow opening. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm playing it right now, and it's like, okay, yeah, this is fine. Um, Twenty-one rash. Yeah. Is this a case of production deadlines, or is it because the FF8 writers were really not that good? Because as I see it, FF8 seems to emulate itself on the low logic, highly emotional approach to drama. I mean, that's like most Final Fantasy games, most fantasy games, most RPGs are much more built around emotional character logic rather than plot logic. And the gap you're running into with this particular plot point, the reason it sticks in so much is that it should be a huge emotional plot point, and it isn't. Yeah. Uh, World of F8 is pretty cool, but the mechanics are weird. You're punished for fighting, which I don't enjoy. Yeah, like, F8 is like a study in producing a game design that kind of rewards a lot of behaviors that make players unhappy to perform but which they will feel compelled to do because they may because they are uh quote unquote like the most efficient where efficient is being engaged as become the strongest uh so like the leveling up system 
in a vacuum, you can see why the leveling up, where enemies level up with you and, in fact, gain stats faster than you is designed to uh, discourage brute force grinding. It's designed to uh, make you use the junctioning system. But the problem is that the... Uh, the junctioning system's uses are not self-evident to a new player, uh, and there isn't... The, the system by which the game makes it worse when you grind is too opaque about the fact that that's what it's doing. Like, leveling up, the enemies level up with you, you'll kind of get a feel that that's what's happening, but the game doesn't make it obvious enough that, oh, that's what it's doing. Uh, and sort of the same with, like, the game wants you to find other ways to get spells than just drawing, but there really aren't any that don't require engaging with strange subsystems. They're, like, your spells are your equipment in FF8. There should have been a way to buy at least basic spells and making it so that, like, engaging with the... Uh, transmogrifying systems where you like refine spells out of items and such was either an alternate cheaper way to get them or a way to get rare ones because otherwise you just get like you just end up with well either you find some a player who's a card addict who turns uh, who is somehow both a card addict but also willing to refine away all of their best cards or you find someone who it's just willing to sit there and draw out as many spells as they have to. Uh, let's see. But yeah, uh, I, I would say that uh, I, I don't even think that the writers of FF8 are untalented. A lot of them have written a lot of Square's most beloved games. Uh, like, let me double check. So like, the uh, plot of FF8 was a mix of uh, Yoshinori Kitase of, you know, Final Fantasy 6 and 7 and 10. Uh, he, he was like the one who came up with the original concept and then it was partially, like largely filled out by Kazushige Nojima of uh, FF7 and 10 and all sorts of other games. Uh, that, you know, people quite like, but, you know, it just, it just doesn't come together. Like, I, I would imagine that it's just one of those situations where, like, you know, not everything's going to be the best thing you ever make. Uh, I think that there's a lot of great ideas there that they didn't fully work out how to do. I don't know if they're... Like, I, I'd be hesitant to call there to say there was like some sort of production deadline since it was made in maybe half the time that seven was. That game went was in development for like three years and it seemed like it was in development for like 18 months. Ooh. Uh, but you know, a lot of that was that they had had the technology down, they understood the game that they were making better. So, like, 18 months on a PlayStation 1 game is actually quite a long time. <laughs> uh, the average length of everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, because it, it was somewhere between 18 months and two years, because FF7 comes out in January of 1997 in Japan. 
and then FFA comes out in February of 1999 in Japan. Uh, okay. Uh, Fireminer says, lately there's been a lot of isekai light novels where it's about uh, gaming the arbitrary rules of the new world you find yourself in. Maybe a real game taking the same approach like if it would be more popular. You could probably sell like the sheer weird abstraction of the junction system better, but like it's also just an issue of like the system, like even just calling it the junction system instead of saying equip spells confused people. They should have just said equip spells. But as long as it's not a completely nonsensical system, like a too rude. Uh, what's the <laughs> easiest Final Fantasy? Uh, the updated versions of the of one. Yeah, yeah. Like if we're if we're t including like the updated versions, then uh, like FF One circa like Dawn of Souls. I don't know if the pixel remaster. I think the pixel remasters at least let you bring back uh, magic charges, which like completely changes how the game uh, functions in a way that completely uh, rebalances it. Uh, but in, in general, like. FF1 in any game where you're using MP is a remarkably easy game. Uh, other than that, uh, some of them it very much depends on the temperament you take into the game. Uh, I would say 6 is really, really easy. Uh just in general and like that's not that's so not an four. Like, yeah four four tends to be easy as long as it's not one of your first rpgs like it was for a lot of people uh seven's extremely easy for the most part uh in in general i would i would not even say that being easy is a crime it's like it's not a fault uh i think that in general being easy is usually the consequence of allowing a varied number of viable builds. Because the more that you try to make the player optimize, the more that they're going to have to just leave certain kinds of builds by the wayside because they just don't work within your system or within the uh, game you've designed. And so, like, when 6 or 7 is super easy, it's just a marker that you can do a lot of things with their systems. Uh, so it's sort of the same thing with FF5. If you have any not, if you aren't completely confused by how the job system works, it's a remarkably easy game. But, you know, that just means that there's no point where you can just feel like, oh, this job was useless and I never should have put anyone in it. Because like there will always be something you can take take away from it. Uh, FF6 is very easy to break with relics. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. What is this generation's Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, or is making a dedicated first RPG for kids a self-defeating quest? I would argue that the I wouldn't say it's self-defeating, but it is misguided. Uh -huh. because in general the things that will draw children to an RPG is that it looks cool or exciting and that's something that most games are most RPGs have gotten very good at doing so you don't need to make 
baby's first RPG. You just need to make an RPG that is compelling enough that they'll power through the fact that they don't really understand how it works until eventually it comes to them. That's how I think a lot of us learn to play RPGs. Mm -hmm. What about a Pokemon? That's kind of... Pokemon is definitely, uh, definitely kept easy for children, but it being easy for children is a side effect of the fact that it's known that children are going to love Pokemon. <laughs> uh... It was not. It was not built as baby's first RPG. It was built to uh, use all of these like mechanical and creature designs that were known to be appealing to kids. And then it was like, if we're going to make an RPG primarily aimed at children, it might as well be. Po it should be easy enough that they can understand it. But Pokemon is also still ridiculously complex. Mm -hmm. right. It's just. It's just a case, because like that's the the difference between this and that, and like a Mystic Quest, because Mystic Quest is deliberately kept uh, simple in a way that uh, you would you would never make any sort of game that was uh, that was aimed at an experienced player. Pokemon is ridiculously complex and full of opaque systems. It's just that it's an easy enough game that it doesn't matter that you don't understand them. Um, only time I know people I know play this Adventure Time RPG on the Wii U are all adults, but maybe it has to do with that show's main demographic. I think Wheels has just gotten called out. What? Uh, Fireminer was adding on to the point by saying the only people I know who played those Adventure Time RP that Adventure Time RPG on the Wii U are all adults, but maybe that has to do with yeah. the show's main demographic. Uh, yes, but also if he's talking about um, explore the, I think that's explore the, the dungeon, dungeon. I don't know. That game is really, really hard. Yeah, like there's no one making a dungeon crawl like a roguelike dungeon crawl, as I recall that game being. Uh. uh to some extent. Yeah. Uh, no, no one making that was assuming that, like, the, the kids will love this for a genre. It's just sort of like, maybe the kids will follow it, even though it's not yeah. necessarily the genre they know. Uh, you guys ever met competitive Pokemon players? I did. I have not met them in person. I know enough no. about the kinds of things that they care about in the game to know that we would not typically see eye to eye for the most part. <laughs> so I I just keep my distance. Fireminer, uh, not Fireminer, uh, Buddha is saying, remember when certain Japanese companies thought going more Western was a good approach? <laughs> there's, there's this very strange situation where like Japanese games had been popular in the West for decades by that point. And suddenly, it was like a centipede's dilemma, but for like an entire sector of the industry, where it suddenly became impossible for the games to turn a profit just by being big in Japan. And so they needed them to be uh, big in the West. And like between the issues that they, that they were having because of the... Uh, the difficult shifts to HD, HD development, uh, and just the sudden, like, everything was make or break in the AAA industry, you run into this weird centipede dilemma where it's like, well, we have to do the things that we think Western players want rather than doing the things that Western players have been enjoying us doing for decades. Uh, 
and have you know slowly made the made Japanese games a, a huge force throughout the throughout the world. It, it became this very strange uh, thing where they where a lot of companies got very self conscious about like well we need we we can no longer afford this to not appeal to the West, and so our assumption is that we now must make an active effort, and in doing so, they produce a lot of things that were appealing to no one. <laughs> Um, how western is dragon's dogma uh i think it takes cues i think uh it takes some cues from like uh the ideas of sort of the uh late aughts uh form of open world western rpgs but it's also very much uh, taking cues from a lot of other sources, like one of the obvious ones would be the aesthetically berserk, but also uh, there's some bits of sort of monster hunter going on in terms of like just the concept of like how some of those fights play out, and just generally it's it's a melange of things, which is you know always what helps to differentiate things. It's what gave the game a cult following that very little else did. Like, I don't think that... Uh, I don't know that Itsuno has ever directed a game that he wasn't essentially making for himself. <laughs> and uh, few so much as Dragon's Dogma. Yeah, I was going to say, it didn't, it didn't feel that Western to me. You know, and and then, yeah, then there's fights where you're literally fighting a giant monster and you have to, like, climb up on top of its head and stab it in the neck. And it's like, yeah, it definitely felt like Monster Hunter at times. But I don't know. I, I didn't feel that Western to me, though, to be honest with you. Yeah, like, it's definitely taken some cues from, like, the, like, emergent popularity of Western developed RPGs. But it definitely was not imitating them. It was just taking ideas and creating its own stew out of them. I like Dragon Age 2 a little bit, um, you know, in terms of Western comparisons, but um, no, for the most part, I just kind of felt like I was playing Monster Hunter, so. See. Uh, in some ways, the Western RPG has become more console-friendly in a post-Kotor world. Oh, massively, like, I'll put it this way. Uh, Bioware games aren't built for keyboard and mouse anymore. And haven't been in decades. <laughs> uh, like you, you look at their pre-Kotor games like Baldur's Gate, and the modern ports do remarkable work attempting to make them controller friendly, but they're they're simply not built for it. Like they're that entire school of isometric uh, RPG with real time with pauses, combat, and uh, that that general style, all of that is built for PC. But once you get to KOTOR, KOTOR is kind of like a halfway house where it's trying to work as both a console and a PC interface, although I honestly think the console interface works better. Uh, but in, in general, uh, post-KOTOR, uh, none, of, none of Bioware's games were PC first. In terms of how they function, you can you can even see it in like Dragon Age Two doesn't 
uh, like Dragon Age One was supposed to be the big. This is this is our PC RPG franchise, and it got fairly su- successfully ported to consoles on the basis of playing of just making its interface fairly Kotor esque, and then Dragon Age Two. Uh, strips out basically everything that was PC specific in terms of interface stylings and yeah, keyboard and mouse was definitely the second control scheme they came up with, not the controller one. Um... Hello. 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 But uh, yeah, and and you see that in general, like uh, Morrowind is not a great console experience. Uh, it's okay. But it is... What's that? It's okay. Yeah, it's fine. It's functional. Uh, the console interface is hardly the worst thing, crime about uh, Morrowind's interface. But, you know, it, it's... I, I don't... Well, I don't like it, but I respect it. But it's one of those things where, like, I can't fucking play this game with this combat. This combat sucks too much. But, uh... But beyond that, like, uh, what I would say about Morrowind is that uh, it's it's definitely a PC first interface that works well, uh, that works acceptably on console. And then after with, with Oblivion, they start making like more console styled interfaces, uh, the sizes of icons and such. Uh, the way that the menus uh, are navigated that are much more suited to how consoles work, and they start... There's definitely a period, uh, especially, like, the the interface design ethos moved to being console first and then maybe do some tweaks to make it work on the PC. <sighs> and that's that's kind of... We, we kind of never left that. The... Uh, because a lot of PC players are also playing on controllers. So you end up with this thing where it's like, well, you know, if we if we go mostly all in on the console interface, we mostly get something acceptable for the PC. But if we go all in on the PC interface and really emphasize keyboard and mouse, we end up producing something that's unusable on consoles. Mm. So, you know, it's it's just one of those things where you make more work, the most work for yourself by focusing on the most alien control scheme and moving outward from there. Let's see. Uh, why couldn't Capcom just have ported a Monster Hunter game to PS3? They did! Portable 3rd! Yeah. Uh, it would have saved them a lot of work instead of betting everything on westernization. No. I don't honestly... I'm going to put this out there. Monster Hunter at that time, like, there, there was no reason to bet on monster hunter on ps3 like being uh like it would have been it would have done numbers and it did do numbers like portable third hd did well but it looks like uh, a psp game on your screen it doesn't look great it's not it's not a great look for the series it's true that's true uh like that's that's me saying uh like that was me editorializing that they did in fact do it they did release a ps3 monster hunter game in general like the my my bigger point is that like a ps3 and 360 monster hunter game that was like built from the ground up if we if we uh allow ourselves to think in those terms uh would have done well in japan 
but without a world style level of marketing would not have done well enough elsewhere to fully justify the extent uh, the extent of the expense but more more generally uh like you 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 know you're banking on monster hunter both selling ps3s and selling to basically everyone who has a ps3 and like when you're doing like fully hd assets you kind of do need more than the couple million you feel like you could guarantee off of that and that's part of why they were careful with that um, i mean localizing portable third hd how many people in america has played monster hunter in the early 2010s not like it had a really hardcore player base like a really hardcore one hi but <laughs> you know it was it was very much yeah but, uh, but i mean it was it was a, it was a cult player base at the time whereas now monster hunter world is capcom's best-selling game ever yeah it still has um, like that really hardcore player base but they're but they have a mainstream player base as yeah. well <laughs> Uh, it, was, it was just hard to, like, you needed a connected enough community to sell Monster Hunter, because, like, Monster Hunter was just a really hard sell outside, like, the PSP was, uh, was like, the ideal home for it in Japan, like a PSP or a DS, and, like, PSP made more sense technologically, of, like, here's something that you can do with, like, these, like, close by uh wireless communications where you can play together with friends uh or just have a pickup game and you needed like uh that that core like monster hunter relies on essentially the existence of those hardcore players who are able to and willing to help new players understand and get to terms with the game uh and just in in general you know that that player base was not large enough and was at the time too insular you needed uh the in in some ways i would argue that the consolidation of the internet into small into a smaller number of sites like social media uh benefited like the kind of game monster hunter was that you could sell that in the english-speaking world and people would be able to find the resources they need to be able to play that uh in a way that they couldn't when it was just like the handful of people who you know the couple hundred thousand who bought it on psp who were huge fans of it but were gathering on like dedicated monster hunter forums yeah trying to figure out ways to connect ad hoc online i know because here's how you can fuck with your nonsense. router to spoof a near field communication yeah <laughs> uh let's see what kind of people bought a sidewinder in the early 2000s except flights sim fans i don't know because i never met someone who did <laughs> i had one I, I have i have one uh, I've walked into a den of thieves. Uh, I, oh. I got mine from my grandfather, who was a, who was a big fan of, who, who is a big fan of flight sim. He gave it to me because I really loved Wing Commander and X-wing. Oh God! Please tell me that counted as clearing the boss. Lol. It, 
It's a double KO. <laughs> How does a double KO dad work in a Souls like? <laughs> My dad, well. who hated video games, he had a good computer, and then he bought me a Sidewinder joystick for some reason. Um, <laughs> but it came with Urban Assault. Remember that game? No. Love that game. No. Nope. Uh, also, Hollywood says get wrecked. It's it's still counted, yeah. That's that's a boss, Claire. Uh, let's see. But I asked, how did Yakuza become as big as it did? With its concept ahead of its time on PS2, uh, it's it's a multitude of things. Like word of mouth was huge for that series, uh, to the point where Sega rightly put in the survey after Yakuza Zero came out asking people why they had bought it. One of the options was that they had seen that chicken online because the, the nugget the, the nugget scene went viral. And like that was legitimately a huge part of it was like suddenly people were like, what on earth, what on earth context could this possibly have? Uh, and like that was legitimately incredibly important. Uh, but it's also like the original Yakuza is a really rough game. And the localization on the original Yakuza is really rough. Uh, and so, like, and it took them a long time to follow it up with Yakuza 2, which is a, a relative to some of the later games. It's a rough game, but it's a much less rough game than Yakuza 1. But it took forever for it to come here, and it was really, like, it was a really late PS2 game at a point where no one was putting a lot of marketing behind PS2 games. Like, that was a late 2008 PS2 game. The only uh, game that got relatively big on the PS2 that fall was Persona 4, and that was still definitely a cult hit at the time. Uh, I don't think that the concept is necessarily difficult, because like, if you look at Yakuza's fundamental structure, it's a more dramatized River City Ransom. <laughs> but... Uh, it's, it's one of those things where, like, the... A lot of things needed to be in place. There needed to be less uh, a, an, a smarter marketing push a better localization and a more refined version of the concept in order to make it break through in the west and ultimately that did manage to happen uh, do you have any fond memories of the hive of scum and villainies uh, villainy game facts yeah no I met some decent people there that's about it <laughs> It's a it's a it's a cesspit in most in most ways. But if you want, like, the other thing is, I still use game FAQs guides for all sorts of stuff. Like, if I just want to find out how to play an old game, I'm definitely going to game FAQs. I do not yeah, want to sit through same. someone's bad YouTube video. I like it. You no, know, it really grinds my gears. Okay. Searching for anything on the internet these days, it's like. I can't get any sort of text article. It's watch my YouTube video. Oh, no. The other option is that you search it on Google and you get this uh, just dreadful uh, SEO soup. Uh, yeah. Here's how to find the ultimate weapon in this RPG. You've probably wondered what the ultimate weapon is. We're going to describe that in the following article. Ugh. Yeah. Like Tell you me what I want to know. God damn you! <laughs> but yeah, Google Google has 
like been completely derelict of any attempt to like stop people from just trying to game its SEO, uh, game how its search engine works. So it's just the first like five pages of any Google results are now just soup. <laughs> uh, so yeah, if I just need to know how to play an old game, yeah, hell yeah, I'm just going straight to game FAQs. Uh, no, the worst <laughs> is when I search like a programming or computer problem. Mm -hmm. That has no business being a video, and all I can get is a video. Uh, that's why you just immediately search on Stack Overflow. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've... I know, you know. <laughs> I, I know. I, I've come across things that aren't... Whatever. I know, I know, I know. It's a joke. It's Some, joke. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but... <sighs> In any case, uh... As a, as a person a little less skilled than some others on this cast, I will say I do not mind the YouTube video walkthroughs for some things because I can rewind it in case I'm, like, halfway through a step and forget about it, but that's my ADHD talking. Oh, no, like I, I'm it, totally it fine for it. for games that are extremely visual, but if I just want to, like, figure out, like, lists of where like where the best stuff is or like just lists of where catalogs of things that i'm just like looking for to fill out like what's this thing i was going to do like rpgs in general typically like don't conform well to the youtube tutorial format in my in my experience yeah. no the stuff like that's fine say, but when i'm searching for like what java library do i need to do this i don't want your fucking video <laughs> that doesn't Fuck make any off. sense <laughs> Can I explain yeah. how to call in this Java library? <laughs> yeah, I will. I will say I did find a very good text guide for Persona Five Royal online. Yeah, there's a few of those floating around, thankfully. But it was uh, on PlayStation's. It was on PSN and not on GameFAQs. There was a. Uh, this one's been really. This one's been a real blast from the past, but uh, the best Trails to Azure guide that I have seen is on NeoSeeker, of all things. Oh, God. But it's like, it's got all sorts, it catalogs of lists of everything that you can get in the game and where you get it and when you get it. Uh, catalogs of, you know, all of the unique uh, little dialogue scenes that you can find. Uh, catalogs of how to get every bonding point in the game like it's a it's extremely thorough and extremely uh useful resource but yeah like i would not seen a like there is a version on game faqs but it is less up to date than the neo seeker version <laughs> it's just extremely funny uh but yeah like that that felt like a blast from the past I remember when I was playing uh, Arno Surge, uh, I got stuck on one bit because it's a very, it was a very obtuse puzzle where you had to switch between the two characters you can control to get the answer to the puzzle, and I couldn't figure it out. And I'm trying to find a guide. I did finally find a guide for it, but oh man, it took me a while because it was a very, you know, it had just released type of thing. <laughs> Okay. Uh, games like Monster Hunter rely a lot on. Huh? I was gonna say I think I've only ever used GameFAQs to look up cheat codes for old like Genesis, NES, Super NES games. <laughs> That's good for that. Yeah. Yeah, I find it useless for that. Oh, okay. <laughs> a lot of the codes end up being fake. Is the problem? <laughs> oh, okay. 
Uh, let's see. Games like Monster Hunter rely a lot on army volunteers to write guides and do live support for other gamers. Have, did any of you ever call the Nintendo support line back in the 90s? No. Uh, no. Yes. Oh. I How'd it go? what game. <laughs> but it did but happen. I, it did happen. And I can also verify it was not Star Tropics because we had the stupid letter. <laughs> everyone, everyone had to worry about the stupid letter. Yeah, no, my sister got Star Tropics brand new as a birthday gift, so we didn't have to worry about not having the manual, not having the letter, like a lot of people did if they bought it used or got it mm -hmm. as a rental. And then you also had the fun of like uh, people not realizing that the. So there were literal instructions to like do something to the letter itself. But, let's see. Budai says that he did call Nintendo support for getting stuck in Secret of Mana Circle, uh, Mana Circle of Seasons in the forest, and got in trouble oh, for doing yeah. so. Oh yeah, that's a the, that's a good reason to call will, that support line. I will admit we did not call on that one either. <laughs> However, I do know that I spent weeks walking around in the wrong circle so i gained Oof. a really ridiculous amount of levels that's tragic um another one was uh that we did not call but we just incidentally managed to figure out or not figure out was uh final fantasy mystic quest having to push the pillar after the water zone and they said the game was for new players. <laughs> so my sister figured it out, told me, because inadvertently my parents had, when they had resubscribed to Nintendo Power, got the strategy guide that is available, and I do still have that. Um, and so she looked it up, bribed me for, she ended up making me pay her, I believe, to get that answer. My mom found out was pissed. Because my mom knew about the strategy guide. <laughs> Good times. Um, let's see. Next to support lines and printed guides, what video games thing, uh, have millennials killed? Do anything, okay? Jeez. <laughs> God damn. Way, all those things destroy why. themselves. God people damn millennials. Why I do not like my sister. <laughs> Case in point. And this was before her car wreck. God Oof. damn millennials! I think I'm technically a millennial, so I should shut up. Yeah, you're. Uh, <laughs> you're. You were born after 1980, and before like 1997, you're yeah. a millennial. Yeah, can Can I just say and he's 83? That I hate yeah. generalizing entire generations. I think it is the no, stupidest shit. No, I'm 83 years old. <laughs> Part of the yeah. silent generation. Listen, you know what millennials did? Okay, when I was a kid. We didn't keep the boxes or the instruction manuals for NES games like you were just okay, saying. Boomer. We didn't do that. We just had the stupid cartridges. So I played Metroid with no instruction manual and no internet. And yeah, what? eventually when I was like 12 years old, I finally figured out how to actually fucking play that game. Yeah, and I beat you, know, it. you know how you play that and game? Whole, you play Zero Mission of... instead. That's what you do. <laughs> I had an entire notebook of Metroid passwords at one point, okay? Oh, I, so... I, I, we kept all the, oh, yeah, no, we had all the boxes, all the manuals, like, even in, even in the 90s, like, we, we actually would take old PC boxes, because they would take a lot, uh, uh, take up a lot of room, 
we would cut them down to like very very you know professionally looking cut them down into their individual pieces and we would put them in these plastic um like file folder containers that were you know closed at the top and you could wrap them mm -hmm. and they were see-through so we would put the boxes in there in a way where it looked like you were still looking at the box but they took up a lot less room on a shelf than a big box did mm. for PC games. And by the way, my grandmother came up with that idea. Mm -hmm. I, I thought of a, I have another anecdote. Um, oh, shoot. Um, I completely forgot what I was going to say. I'm sorry. I Rip. still have my manual for I'm Final sorry, Fantasy Legends. A, a, a very heavy line of gamers and tech people. So, yeah, so. big fucking nerds um uh, oh okay hold on remember uh, on the wii u remember the meverse and how cool that yeah. was well um water in this game <laughs> so when wind waker hd came out somebody posted something on there like they're like back in my day we had to write down the our wind waker songs in our notebooks and i was like back what? in my day we tried to play Dr. Mario on black and white TVs, okay? <laughs> I had a I had a small notebook for the password the level the continue game passwords for Faxanadu. Okay, I'm put, I'm putting the, my foot down that none of you are allowed to act this fucking old right now and we're moving on. Uh, okay. the the end point of this discussion is that I will say that the last thing that Millennials killed was, in fact, the Radio Star, and, in fact, video was simply the way we chose to do so. No further questions. Um, let's see. What was Square's uh, weakest SNES RPG, Aspidai? Yeah, no, I saw that. Um, but I wanted to make sure that we hit some of the other things that were mentioned as well. Yeah, he also uh, said, I, I don't know why, but I find Mystic Quest, so, Mystic Quest so fun because it's a good game. Yeah, it's got great music. It's pretty fun. It's yeah. breezy. Um, how do you feel about Moe and RPGs? No opinion. Um, uh, my opinion is uh, go back and watch how long I lasted playing Mugen Souls. Too Moe for you. Um, Moe! What, what was Square's no weakest Super Nintendo? Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, what was Square's weakest Super Nintendo RPG? That's tough. It's probably one of the ones that we didn't actually get. <laughs> like, yeah. you get into one of those, like, uh, I don't know, like, yeah, just digging into one of those ones that, like, we, you know, was that we didn't get and isn't huge like my brain is like falling onto like treasure hunter g but wheels might kill me because that's a sting game uh what i'm sorry what did you say treasure hunter g not treasure of the rudras treasure hunter g uh. no i'm saying treasures of the rudra being a weak title oh i yeah i've never actually played it but like that, that would just generally be my like guess would be one of those ones we didn't actually get. Yeah, the original version of <laughs> Although Romancing Bahamut Saga is a mess. Actually kind of fun. Okay, first one, then the other. Bahamut Lagoon is in fact good. What was the other thing you were saying, Wheels? I said they were the like OG Romancing Saga, not that good. I mean, it's kind of, kind a, of mess, a mess. But... Yeah. But I wouldn't. Uh... I probably wouldn't say it's the weakest. Uh... 
Yeah, I mean, if if we were looking at just my personal opinions, and oh god, I'm gonna, I might get massacred for this depending upon who hears it. Uh, among the ones we actually got, it's probably Secret of Mana. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna duck to avoid the pitchforks. Hold on. <laughs> uh, they're they're aiming for me. Don't worry. Um, I mean, Secret of Mana is. A complicated case. It's complicated, man. Because <laughs> it does have a lot of issues, and especially going back now, especially because the remake or the doesn't fix any of them. <laughs> it does. It it took all of them and moved them one for one, because people wanted Secret of Mana. Yeah, and no, I, I, yeah. I don't fully get it. People <laughs> think, think they want in Secret of Mana. Yeah. I mean, for the time, the, ga the game is pretty amazing. I mean, it's very pretty. You... It's got great music, but it's like, as, as like an actual game, it's... <laughs> it's It's got some weird quirks. Yeah. I think, uh... I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, I'm, I should mention that for this discussion, I'm also disqualifying Secret of Evermore on the basis that it's like, it, we didn't get that. That was made specifically for us, so it feels different. Yeah. But, and, yeah, and also Budai brings up not counting Secret of Evermore. Yeah, and as far as, like, Secret of Man, like, the remake, you know, people, you, we all thought that's what we wanted, but I think what we actually all wanted was something closer to Trinity Trigger. Trinity Trigger or the Trials of Mana remake, yes. something that's like taking these ideas and refining them or doing something different with them instead of trying yeah. to do a one-for-one. One. Yeah. I played I, um, Secret of Evermore in my 20s and I thought it was pretty good. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. People are too mean there. to it. Okay. Like, I, even when I say, like, I think Secret of Mana is the weakest, I'm not saying it's a bad game, I just think it's like. Kind of. No, it, you're answering yeah. the question, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, saying it's bad out of like the output they put out on the SNES was like ridiculously good. So even being yeah. the weakest yeah. among those is it's okay. Still, you know, like yeah. the the worst the worst Square game on the Super Nintendo is like a B. Yeah, <laughs> like they were exactly. they were. Th throwing weird ideas at the wall and almost everything was hitting it's kind mm -hmm. of it's kind of impressive yeah there was there's some very uh it was a, an extremely high batting average yeah and you know as time went on and that was less of the case i think a lot of that probably just had to do with more like more complicated development as systems went on. Like it's, it's a lot easier to make a good, as like Super Nintendo RPG than it is to make a PS One RPG or a PS Two RPG, etc. And would I ask if uh, Threads of Fate is their weakest on PS One? I haven't uh, even played that one. <laughs> it's not even my, it's not even my least favorite of the summer of adventure games because I don't like Chrono Cross. Ugh, let's not go into that. Yeah, we won't. Uh, but yeah, like... What's that? I never played Chrono Cross. You're probably no, fine. It's either a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Chrono Cross is a land of contrast. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, boy. You either dodged a bullet or dodged... Um, 
transcendent. Your favorite thing ever? I don't know. know. But yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like, uh, yeah, uh, for for me personally, like Threads of Fate's not even my uh, least favorite in that summer of adventure campaign that they did. And I like Legend of Mana. Let's see. Home within the summer of adventure. I swear, Chrono Cross was part of that, but it was Legend of Mana, Chrono Cross, and um, Threads of Threads Fate. Of Fate. Because yeah. they all released those like little CDs you could get from EB Game. Sure, good enough. Print the legend. And I remember Chrono Cross had the clock. Software, etc. Funko <laughs> Land. Babbage. Oh, that's right. Soft- software, etc. That was it. Thank you. I mean, they all became one company. Yes. Yeah, they, they they all became one company that is about to go out of business. I thought they just had a profitable quarter. I, I still expect them to go out of business. Yeah, um, now my Xenoblade 3 is on back order. Did you purchase Legend of Dragoon back in the day and dislike it like I did? I kind of enjoyed it at the time. I still enjoy it. I think it's Tanned. kind of a bad game, Tanned. but I... Yeah, it's not a good it, game. It's, it's, it's not even a bad game. It's a mediocre game. I, no, I it's think bad. that there are things that it's I would bad. point at and say that's bad. Like, I, I think that there is not oh, nearly enough going on in the combat. Yeah, no, it's 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 not a bad game. It has some bad things in it. It's not a good game, although it has some good things in it. It is really a just mediocre game. It's like the definition of meh. I don't know. I bought it back in the day, thankfully used for cheaper, and thought it was the one of the worst pieces of crap I ever purchased in the PlayStation. Extremely, uh, to, to use a phrase that shows up in uh, Japanese uh, media discourse, it's an extremely Chunibyo game. I don't know what that means, but sure. <laughs> Let me see if I can get a better definition than what would come off the top of my head. Uh, Chunibyo is a slang term uh basically describing uh teenagers like middle schoolers say about eighth graders who are uh with, with like extreme delusions of grandeur like extreme like fantasy like the the sort of thing that like most that like large amounts of japanese rpg and anime are sort of meant to appeal to uh the the phrase would probably be best translated as like eighth grader syndrome, <laughs> but basically like uh, the the combination of uh, world design and uh, like elements of like essentially sentai that have been like infused into a very basic jrpg structure for the ps1 in that era like even even by japanese rpg standards uh legend of dragoon feels particularly chuny as the shortening would be <laughs> uh where would you rank of grandeur that they also believe they have like some secret power yeah you know, the, the kinds of fantasies that children love to indulge in and that, like, a lot of isekai anime are based around. Mm-hmm. Or guillotine. Was, yeah, if, if, you, if, you send, if you sent me to another world, I would suddenly become the strongest and specialist. Um, 
but yeah, where would you Except rank? In Yuck? the case of the main character of my sister with, or my one hit KO sister, where it's actually his sister who's the, the overpowered is... one, and he's a wimp. Let's see. Um, where would you rank Like a Dragon is Sheen among the main series? I have not finished it because I was distracted by Trails. That's one of the games that I need to get back to, but uh, PS5 games have difficulty uh, arresting my attention. So I'll get around to it, I promise. And then I'll give you a more informed take on that since I'm probably the only one here who will have context to describe that. Uh, yes. Let's see. Let's see, where did Wild Arms 2 succeed? Wild Arms 2 succeeds by being extremely strange. Uh, <laughs> like, just being a weird mix of different aesthetics, concepts, and... But I, I think mostly it succeeds on being a thematically interesting game. Like, in contrast to that idea of being the legendary hero. Oh, what the fuck in... is that? Sorry. In contrast Sorry. to the idea of being the team of legendary heroes in uh, Legend of Dragoon, the, the thematic constant of Wild Arms 2 is that uh, being a hero is a miserable concept and exists to allow... Uh, it, it exists to be used by society and governments and to essentially and will eventually destroy the uh, interior interior personal life of the person for whom the title is thrust upon. Uh, it's got, uh, you know, like that that kind of uh, sort of commentary on uh, how RPG stories are structured in a thematic sense was an interesting one uh, that I think helps Wild Arms to uh, succeed where it's like mechanics or translation may sometimes fail it. Uh, is there any game about the loss of childhood, but no more Peter Pan, Lord of the Flies since? Uh, I'd have to think about that. I've definitely played games that are about that uh, melancholy of childhood then, uh, childhood then, but you know, it's uh, it, it, I'd have to go digging into my memory to try to pull up an example, so I'll see if I can think back on that and get back to you next week. Speaking of which, we are getting on pretty far, so we may want to close down shortly. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Uh, heard the news that the third Alice Madness game is definitely cancelled, the one that American McGee was making. I think that's, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for the man himself that he doesn't get to make it, but I think that's probably fine. I, I think the uh, American McGee's Alice and Madness Returns were both uh, very much kind of products of a time that's past. I don't like Duke Nukem. Yeah, there were ways to modernize both Alice and Duke Nukem, but I don't I don't think that anyone in control of those properties was uh, in the right mindset to do so. Um. Also, maybe maybe leave your fond memories of the first Alice at Place Like a Quake mod, because that's what it is. Um, sure is. Like, Let's many see. games at that time were. Yep, it's just much more awkward when the game is ostensibly a platformer outside yeah. of that. There's um, a lot of games from that era that are just 
janky as hell because they're trying to do weird things with the Quake 3 engine. Yeah, it was a very popular engine. Yeah. Still is Call of Duty. Um, I think there's still remnants of that engine floating around in the current uh, Call of Duty. Uh, sure. But, uh, yeah, so we're going to... Gothic? Was Gothic done in the Quake 3 engine? It wouldn't surprise me. Gothic's a weird-ass game, though. <laughs> uh, let me see. When... Like, I think uh, like that, that? Pretty sure that vampire game was in the Quake 3 engine, too. Are you thinking of Vampire the Masquerade? That was made in uh, in Source. Uh, there was some Vampire the Masquerade game, I think, was Quake 3 engine. Uh, Are you thinking of Vampire the Masquerade, like, Redemption or whatever? Yeah. Okay, Gothic's engine was in-house, apparently. I think it's just janky. <laughs> I mean, a lot of games from that era were janky anyway. Gothic is janky by that time standards. Um, which isn't to say it's bad. It's a neat game, but it is also a very strange game. Which is what makes it memorable, but still. Um, I can, I can uh, with every preview I see of the remake of Gothic, I can feel the inevitable response being, this is fine as long as you aren't, as long as you aren't in, as long as the original Gothic's like weirdness is not what you were there for, and I feel like a large portion of the people who cared about Gothic were there for it being weird. <laughs> yeah. Vampire the Masquerade TV show in the '90s and a game based on that TV show. Yeah, I think it's called like Vampire the Masquerade Redemption or something. Uh, yeah, Vampire the Masquerade Redemption. It's bad. <laughs> Bud. But yeah. Oh, hey guys, and we're just about to wrap up. Hey. What? Okay. You got. You're just in time to tell me where I can get a good uh, pizza. Ah. Mm, pizza. I want a Nor princess to give me a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure there's a. Like, there's definitely places that'll do that for you but not this place <laughs> no 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 this this is just the pizza place where stuff happens mm. yeah. Yeah. Oh, so man star trek voyager elite force don't let, let, let gaijin fish okay sorry <laughs> okay well yeah so i'm i guess i'm just here just in time for the weekly plug yay <laughs> Oh, yeah, so Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yadimizu on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. If you enjoy tabletop RPGs, if you um, enjoy watching other people play tabletop RPGs, and that is an entire thing on the YouTube these days, um, if you like to live vicariously through other people's poor dice rolls and poorer personal decisions, and if you don't mind having all that in print literary format, uh, again, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, available in... See how many ebooks at this point? Um, 14 ebooks and or uh, currently four paperback collections. Nice. Um, yes, yay. So, yes, soon to be another episode, some probably sometime at the end of next month. Need to, oh, yeah, final proofs. So, um, yes, so Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yarimizu, Y A R I M I Z U, available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Thank you. Hello. Oh, sorry, that was that yawn wasn't for you. That was just because I'm tired. <laughs> no worries, no worries.
Is that any good Japan related stuff or just No, no, we've mostly been Yeah, no 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 Japan related questions this week. You didn't miss out on anything. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to get what you've been playing next week. Uh uh Joe, Joe, tell me where I can watch you stream. Uh, you can go to twitch.tv slash smokinjoegamer. And right now, the schedule I'm going for is Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, usually between like 9 and 11, thereabouts. And you so this politely past... make sure not to overlap with us. So you should I do. Team. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then that way I can still do shenanigans on Sunday and then this on thursdays and then um monday i don't have to do anything so <laughs> good to have a then, no nothing night yeah and then um so most of my streams make their way over to youtube as well so you can also look me up on there smoking joe gamer and you'll see it's the same avatar it's the same background image and all that um and so this past week i was still Doing some Disgaea games this month. Um, I did some Disgaea 5, and it was fine. Um, and then I tried doing Disgaea 1 complete, and it's like, oh, this isn't fun. So then I went oh, back to... Oh, you and Wheels can agree on something. <laughs> so then I went back to Disgaea 4, and that's that's a lot of fun. So hmm. I did that this week. Um, and I did post some streams of Elden Ring and Cyberpunk... And I don't know if anybody watched those, but whatever. And next month, I want to just do a whole month of Metroidvanias. So I'm probably going to do the original Metroid, and I'm going to see, um, you know, how fast I can get through it. Ugh. Wish me luck. <laughs> so. Well, uh, if 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 it comes to it, N A R P A S S W O R D. What? Yes. Oh, Justin Bailey. Yeah. No, no, I was saying NAR password. Okay. That's the password that gives you invincibility. Oh, I never used that before. Oh, no, I'm going to start at the beginning, and I'm just going to try to legit play through it. Like yeah. I said, I'm just saying if it runs too long, just give yourself yeah. the invincibility password. <laughs> okay, I'll look that up, sure. Although Justin Bailey is also a good password for just skipping to yeah. the end. Yeah, but that's not a skipping to the end password. It just makes you invincible. <laughs> Did you know that if you enter Justin Bailey in Axiom Verge, you get an achievement? It's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So. Yeah. The the NAR password is the only one that is hard-coded into the game rather than something that was generated by the ROM. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, but, let's see. Tam, tell me where I can watch you and the other lovely RP Gamer streamers. Yes, you can catch myself, uh, Mighty Tam, along with five other dedicated streamers on Twitch. Mighty Morphin RP Gamer streamers. Yeah, um, at twitch.tv slash rpgamer. So uh, we have a number of different people uh, playing all sorts of RPGs uh, at different times. So come and check us out. We're always willing to... Uh, yeah have the company and ch chat about uh, not just the game we're playing but other things that may be on mind and if you come up yeah. with questions that we can't answer live we'll send them to q a quests for them to best with yay no one can sorry I'm, I'm thinking about the power rangers team now i'll stop uh <laughs> <laughs> so 
So yes, uh, twitch.tv slash rpgamer, and you can also find the information available on the website at www.rpgamer.com. Speaking of rpgamer.com, if you want to ask us questions like dear friends Budai and Tam did, as well as dear friend Doomerang in the RPG Wait, I asked one? Uh, oh, not Tam. Uh, Budai and Fireminer, that's what it was. Sorry, my brain is fried. Apparently. Um, yeah, no, it's okay. Let's see. Uh, but yeah. I think I broke uh, his brain. <laughs> uh, don't worry, Astaire did. Um, but yeah. Uh, if, you, if you would like to uh, ask us questions, you can do that by going to the RP Gamer Discord. Uh, you can do that and asking them in the podcast section. You can get an invite to the Discord by going to rpgamer.com and clicking the community tab. Uh, that's a great community, even if you don't want to ask us questions. But we do always appreciate questions. Um, if you would like to, uh, you can also ask them underneath the comments section. We usually check the last three or so episodes to make sure that nothing gets lost in the shuffle. Uh, or you can ask them if you catch us in the chat. We are usually there. We are usually streaming Thursday nights at uh, 9 p.m. Uh, Pacific, midnight Eastern. The whew, the uh, we we always love responding to questions within the chat. Uh, thanks once again to Fireminer and Budai for giving us plenty to chatter on about this week. Uh, but yeah, that, that's usually every Thursday night, uh, and you can catch us on twitch.tv slash rpgamer or twitch.tv slash askwheels. We try to keep tabs on both chats, so whichever you prefer. Uh, also, you can catch me, Wheels, Joe, and usually, eventually, Tam, and sometimes Gaijin on Sundays for Sunday Night Shenanigans. That takes place at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern as well, and is generally a lot of fun, so... Yeah, up to the point till I pass out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually you'll catch, uh, over the past few weeks, you'll have been able to catch Wheels playing Resident Evil Village. He is making good progress. And he is in the factory now, as I recall. Is that near the end? My approach <laughs> yeah, the you end are game? in the last part, like the the last major, like this is a big area that you explore. And then there's a few more sections that are sort of smaller ones. Okay. So you are making good progress in Village. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's been that's been a hoot to sort of mock him as uh, scary things and or death awaits him. So, yeah, I'm always yeah. suspicious whenever we're talking, and then all of a sudden everyone gets quiet, <laughs> and then later something horrible happens yes. and they start cackling. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so give that a look uh, after Village. Hopefully I can persuade Wheels to continue with another Resident Evil remake, but we may also leave in it with some multiplayer games, depending upon what we're feeling up to. Uh, yeah, I will be doing Street Fighter VI when it comes out. Yes. Yep, that'll be and in June. Maybe not right after Village, but I will be doing RE2 remake for sure at some point. 
Can I get a Oh hell yeah, yeah, that'll be fun to watch. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> Ooh, Wheels is gonna have a great time. He's gonna love it. <laughs> but yeah, so that's uh so give that a look. But otherwise I think that does it for our plugs. So I think it's time we say goodbye. See ya space cowboys. See ya. Bye. Bye.